The following audio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast. Welcome back to Just Listen, Voices of PK Deficiency. My name is Amy Board, and I am one of the producers of the show as well as today's guest interviewer, and we have a great show for you. Today, we're speaking with Tamara Shriver and Carl Lander of Thrive with Pyruvate Kinase Deficiency Patient Organization. Thrive was created to fill a gap within the PK deficiency community to unite patients and caregivers with various backgrounds to share in confidence about each other's health history and to alleviate the isolation of living with a rare disease. To learn more about the Thrive with Pyruvate Kinase Deficiency Patient Organization, check out thrivewithpkd.com or visit their Facebook group. So let me introduce you to Tamara Shriver and Carl Lander. Tamara lives with PKD and is the president of Thrive. Carl also lives with PKD and is the international collaboration director of Thrive. Both have a wealth of knowledge and experience, and it was a real treat to talk to them. Tell us a little bit about Thrive. We're so interested in what the organization does, how it was started, and your involvement in it. So we started Thrive with Pyruvate Kinase Deficiency Organization. It's a new organization, and we started it last summer. And basically, it was started with the idea that we don't want other people to be lonely like we were lonely when we either got diagnosed with PKD or else we were parents and caregivers who were taking care of a child and we didn't know anybody else. We wanted sort of um, advocacy groups for quite some time. So obviously we're talking about Thrive in the US. We're also setting up a Thrive group in the UK. Um, that would be a charity which we're working through building that as well. I guess the big difference with other organisations, a lot of organisations do a lot of support work. They do a lot of resources, information, etc. What Thrive is looking to do all of that but with a particular emphasis of the word thrive, that actually this blood disorder, pyruvate kinase deficiency, PK deficiency, is quite disabling for a lot of people. Many people have it, don't even know they've ever had it. Some people notice later on in life. And those of us who are more um, affected by it, noticing that as we're getting a bit older and grey, we're getting more affected and more things are problematic. So that feeling of isolation and feeling super like you're a round peg in a square hole, that feeling you're the only person in the world with this is so isolating that we wanted to make sure that people knew that there are other people on the planet that are similar to them and are going through a similar experience. And so we wanted to make sure that that was our biggest first initiative is just to connect all of these people. And then the second thing was there are resources out there in the world that already exist that are already really good resources. So instead of recreating the wheel and doing your own research and just we wanted to put those resources in one spot. I um, do say that actually we can have the same amount of fun as anybody else. We just get a bit more breathless doing it. And that's the principle of it. 
you know, it's very much we can live a decent life. We need quite a lot of treatments at times, but nonetheless, actually, we can make the most of it. And that's what Thrive seeks to do. And my particular emphasis, and I think the emphasis of Thrive overall in both countries, is about young families. So we put them on the website and we weeded out the the not-so-good resources from the good resources. And we put the, the ones that have scientific backing on the website. And we just made it like a one-stop shop so that you can go there find resources that are about the disease and also that support um, the family and the patient. Much of what we want to do, particularly with the UK Thrive, will be about educating local doctors who are not PKD experts so that they better understand the disease and then working with the national experts to help them understand what it's like to live with PKD or live you know, be you know, a carer, because clinically they're amazing they, they, and, and they genuinely are. I'm sure there's people listening to this that have never met someone else with PK deficiency. What opportunities does the Thrive organization present people? The cool thing about the community in large is that we do have Facebook groups. It's through Facebook groups, and that's actually how we organized was through getting to know people that are similar to you or have uh, similar interests. And so we started seeing each other on a bi-weekly basis during COVID just to talk. And that again is radical because I guess what, 46 years of my life, I didn't know anybody else with PK deficiency. And then there is actually somebody I know who doesn't live terribly far away from me, who I've met and talked to quite regularly through the Facebook groups. Um, and there's a huge community on various, we've got three different Facebook groups, big community of people and lots of support. And then through that, we developed this interest in starting the, the nonprofit. We had a lot in, in common and we had a lot of drive to provide this support for other patients. And so it is possible, although difficult, mm -hmm. to find patients in your same state or your same country. So you can meet in your same state or country, but there are some states that literally nobody has come forward and waved their hand and said, I'm from that state. And I think that is a long-term goal, is to get people to meet face-to-face -face live. But for now, we use a lot of virtual meetings. And that is the eventual goal is to start having more face-to-face -face meetings. So there's ways that we're trying to plan for that to happen. That's terrific. Where can people go to find this list of doctors to connect with you all, to connect with others, get involved in the organization? Where can we send folks? Facebook is one of our key places. So if you searched Thrive or PK deficiency or pyruvate kinase deficiency through Facebook, you'd come across our group. So there's there's people with pyruvate kinase deficiency is one group, and then there's a UK group with the same name, and there's a Thrive with PKD Facebook group as well. And they're all very similar, but I mean the Thrive one that I know more about has a, a slightly different angle about, around well-being and, and quality of life, but we're all you know, we're all kind of in 
very much share the groups and we are all a kind of a big community that wants to support each other. And now a word from our sponsor, Agios Pharmaceuticals. At Agios, we're passionately committed to transforming the lives of patients with genetically defined diseases, including pyruvate kinase disease. We are proud of our innovative investigational therapies and focus on accelerating and expanding our genetically defined disease portfolio. This provides Agios with the resources required to optimize the development of our promising investigational therapies and ultimately enables the greatest overall potential positive impact for people battling these conditions. The patients and families who are counting on us need extraordinary science, and they also need people with extraordinary hearts. At Agios, we have both. Our work to discover and deliver new medicines is personal. To learn more about PK Deficiency, visit nopkdeficiency.com. That's K-N-O-W-P-K-Deficiency.com. I have to share this off the Thrive website because it lists you as a mom, a nutrition scientist, and a documentary junkie who just happens to have PK Deficiency. That's quite the bio. I must say I loved that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I tried to try to emphasize that I'm a PKD uh, patient last, and I'm a lot of other things that are more important and more fun first. Tell me a little bit about your personal history with PK deficiency. What was it like to be diagnosed? What have your symptoms been like? And how have you managed? Sure, that's a good question. And I get asked that a lot. It's, I would say for someone my age, so I'm in the 50 to 60 bracket. And my story is very, very typical. The only thing that's, I was lucky in that I got diagnosed fairly early. So for somebody in that age bracket, that would be six years old. But I lived in a small rural environment in North Dakota. And when I was born, I had some, obviously I was anemic and I was jaundiced. And so I had some emergency transfusions but nothing really in terms of preventative care or nothing to manage symptoms, nothing like that. It was all only emergency care or emergency transfusion. So when I had another crisis when I was six, that's when, thankfully, they were able to contact Mayo Clinic, and that's where I got the diagnosis. And uh, then I started to see hematologists more on a regular basis just to monitor me for regular growth. And then I had the emergency transfusions if I needed it, gallbladder removal when I had skull skull stones, but nothing much in terms of prevention. I had my spleen removed when I was 26 because it was just so large. It was actually making my waist size larger, like I was a pant size, like two pant sizes larger, and it was really a risk for eruption if I got hit. So like I said, not much. Things didn't really change until my 40s when the science started to come along and I was starting to communicate with other people that had PKD through social media. So I I was diagnosed at about four years at the Hammersmith Hospital in London by a team including a chap called, who's now who's retired, but Professor Ted Gordon-Smith, who I'm still in touch with. and. I think this is is public enough to say I think that chap's actually my hero. So I bounced around hospitals where I was born in in the Midlands in in England. 
and I ended up being referred indirectly to the Hammersmith Hospital to the team that Ted was working in. And at the age of four, I, was, I had a diagnosis. At the age of seven, they took out my spleen, which is a fairly, which was then a, I mean, it's not common, this disease at all. It's like between five and eight in a million. But that was, is a kind of a common type of treatment. These days, I have weekly transfusions. And that, and I, my levels are kept very high towards the top end of, of, of norm because that helps me. But over the years, things have stopped working. So my pancreas stopped working. I'm diabetic. So there's two parts of pancreas inside and outside. The outside of the pancreas stop work, working. But I'm diabetic as well. I've got liver cirrhosis from the, from the iron overload. I've now got heart failure. My kidney doesn't like working sometimes. You've got those kind of on top of... Although I'm not anemic, you get those feelings of anemia. And it's really, we talk about, as I just said, about fatigue and tiredness and all those words that don't really mean anything unless you know how it feels to you. What does a crisis look like for um, someone with PK deficiency? For me, it is when you're bed bound. You can't get out of bed. You literally have no energy. You, for me, I can't really eat. I can't, I can bear just this basic bare necessities, like being able to go to the bathroom. Mm. That's about it. That's about all I can do in a day. And it can be anywhere from three days to two weeks to build my hemoglobin back up. Back up. Or if I get a blood transfusion, that will help, but it doesn't bring you back up to normal right away. Mm. It's just slowing, it's slowly building your strength back up to do the day-to-day activities that we all take for granted. It's just a lack of strength and yeah. a lack of ability to think. Do you remember that magic moment when you, the first time you met someone else who had PK deficiency? Absolutely. I, I do. I, it's an interesting story. I met somebody at a conference. I was probably about 49 years old. 49? So, that was the yeah. first time? And that was the oh. first time I met somebody. Yeah. And in fact, I sat down at a table and I was trying to figure out at this table who were the people that had the disease and who were the people that were the caretakers. Mm. And so, of course, not everybody with pyruvate kinase deficiency has jaundice. Some people don't have jaundice, but I tend to have the jaundice. So I was kind of looking around the table and like, I think that person has a little bit of jaundice. And I think that person (laughs) is likely to have PKD. And sure enough, um, she was sitting next to me and just, it just was like an instant connection. Ugh. Never talked. We'd never known or seen each other. And it, it was like, I wanted to hug her, Ugh. but I didn't know her. But I, yeah, it was just an instant connection. That's incredible. It was, it was super cool. Super cool. What's the day-to-day like managing your health? What are some of the things that have worked? And what are some of the things that have not worked? I think really getting ahead of your treatment in terms of, first of all, for me, a lot of it was stopping. I had to stop denying that I had a disease. And so I really tried for a hard, a long time to be normal and Mm. to act and look just like everybody else. And just work through being fatigued. And I didn't want to, and I know this is common maybe for people in my age, 
that that early diagnosis in the before there was really treatment was it was so important to be just like everybody else mm. that you really didn't acknowledge it. So there's been a little bit of coming out of the closet in terms of talking about it more and sharing it with other people and realizing that there is actually a biological reason why we can't do things that other people can do. So there's that mental piece that's been going on for me. And then, so that has helped me to start planning ahead and be more preventative. And again, waiting, instead of waiting for a crisis, making sure I don't get into a crisis. You've got to make life fun. There's no point not being fun. So you've got to get a bit of mischief. You've got to have a bit of fun. You've got to do things that people perhaps don't approve of sometimes. But that's what it's about. And there are days when it's jolly hard work. And there's no two ways about it. When you get up and you feel more tired when you get out of bed than you went into bed. So, for example, we've got my sister-in-law staying at the moment. And last night we saw, watched a film and I went to bed half past ten. This morning... I really didn't want to get out of bed. So I mean, I normally go to bed about eight o'clock. So you have to adapt your life around this. There's no two ways about it. But it is perfectly possible to live a decent life with these kind of diseases. It's, it, it's not easy sometimes, but it, you can do it. And you have to make yourself do it. Otherwise, you'd just sit in the chair, wouldn't you? And I, I have known of people who really, to what for my personal view, what I would see as quite a poor quality of life because they don't get to do the fun things. And every day would seem to me a bit of a drag, really. So, you know, but I'm I'm very lucky in that I have a good team of, of healthcare professionals around me. What are your hopes for the future for this community? Everyone's been so isolated for so many years, for decades. So tell me, what are your hopes? I think sharing an understanding of what it's like so people know they're not the only one. And that is really fascinating because for a long, long time, I thought if I go and have a, a sit down on a Saturday afternoon because I'm really tired, I just think I must be exceptionally lazy because everybody else is out watching a football match or out doing things. When you talk to people with PK deficiency, they are having a sleep on a Saturday morning and a Saturday afternoon sometimes. So it, it kind of benchmarks you that, you know, this is okay. I think also to share our knowledge of the disease through various channels so that people, as we just said, can go and advocate for their own treatment, their own maintenance and management, really, not necessarily treatment, but actually they're getting the right investigations to make sure that they are staying as well as possible. I was told when I was young that there would never be a cure for PKD, that no one would ever research it, that it was a rare disease, and nobody was interested in it. And I'll be honest, when I heard this, I believed it and I was pretty discouraged, kind of like a early death sentence and just very hopeless feeling. So now to see that there are researchers that are doing studies on PKD and there are nonprofits involved in promoting PKD, there's now there's kids that are getting really progressive treatment. I am so filled with excitement that I feel like my life changed because of technology, health technology and the internet. It's made advocacy so much easier. And it's also ignited a fire in me to make sure that 
others don't have to live that hopelessness that I lived, that other people can have hope. Because when you're really discouraged and you're depressed, what the sort of, to me, the antidote is hope. And so being able to be involved in this perfect storm of positivity is a huge opportunity for me. And I'm just so excited. I'm really excited to be involved in it. That's terrific. You guys are doing such wonderful work. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And I bet we'll see you back. It's a pleasure. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Just Listen, Voices of PK Deficiency. Don't forget to hit that follow button in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share the show with members of the PKD community. And if you'd like to learn more about PK Deficiency and see resources to support people impacted by PK Deficiency, visit nopkdeficiency.com. That's K-N-O-W-P-K-Deficiency.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.